This is CUNY TV, the City University of New York. City University Television presents... The American Theatre Wing Seminars. Working in the theater. This seminar, performance. Welcome to the American Theatre Wing Seminars on Working in the Theatre. These are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, which is located on 42nd Street, where Broadway, Off-Broadway, and Off-Off-Broadway all come to present the magic of theatre. These seminars are but one of the programs of the American Theatre Wing, and they are really created to give you an inside view of what it is to work in the theatre. What it is to work in the theater as a performer, as a playwright, as a producer, as a director, as a costume and set designer, and as an agent as well. The American Theater Wing is perhaps best known for its Tony Awards, but it wasn't established for that reason. It was established to honor a woman named Antoinette Perry, who strongly believed that you should be prepared for the theater and you should be trained for the theater and there should be quality in what you do for the theater. And so the American Theater Wing's Tony Award is given not for the best or the longest or highest review, but for the achievement of excellence in the craft of theater. All of the programs that the Wing does has that at its base. We send shows to hospitals and nursing homes and aid centers. We support a program called Saturday Theater for Children, which brings live professional theater into their own classrooms on Saturday mornings. We have a program called Introduction to Broadway, which is very exciting. And it has brought thousands and thousands of high school students, students from the local high schools in the five boroughs of New York. And this is done along with the cooperation of the New York City Board of Education and the producers, marvelous producers who have given us tickets for Les Mis and Fatten of the Opera and Five Guys Named Mo and all, all the shows that you can possibly think of that young people should see and expose them to live theater. We also had them meet with the cast and the crew afterwards for a discussion so that they will take part in what it is in working in the theater and perhaps have a role model for that as well. These seminars grew out of the Wings School, where returning veterans were able to come back and learn the craft of theater from one area to another. And our stage door canteens, which is 
famous all over the world as part of the wonderful quality that performers have and gave to people who were not in the theater but were part of a large group that were going overseas and it meant a great deal to them to see live theater and be with people in the theater. Out of that came a hospital program. Again, all the programs came out of the idea that we should serve the theater through the community. And we continue to do that to this day. I'd like to introduce our co-moderators, Jean Dalrymple, who is an author, a director, a wearer of many hats, and a member of the board of directors of the American Theater Wing. And Brendan Gill, who is an author and a critic and believes strongly in tradition and landmarks and is also a member of the board of directors of the American Theater Wing. And they, in turn, will introduce this wonderful panel of performers to you today. Thank you for being here. Artist for me on my right is Julie Harris, who plays the smoldering mother in the play The Fiery Furnace. And next is Joe Mantello, who is both a director and an actor and is now playing in the role of Louis Ironson in Angels in America. And directly next to me is Petula Clark, who is making her Broadway debut in that most vehement play, Blood Brothers. <laughs> and uh, on our left bank, uh, we have some very important and darling people. Stephen Spinella is way down at the end, and uh, he's making his debut on Broadway, as well as playing a very important part in Angels in America. Mr. Spinella, take a bow, please. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. take a bow. Um, then we have uh, next to him um, the famous David Cassidy. As and, opposed uh, to the other one. <laughs> all the Cassidys are very famous. And the whole family once worked for me at City Center here in New York. And they were tremendously successful. And I'm so happy to see young David again. Thank you. And right next to me, we had a little confusion because of some of our dear friends being late. And so these are apt to be out of order. <laughs> but you're Mr. Heslip, is that right? Yes. Um, Jeff Heslip. I had a lot of trouble learning even how to say that. Um, Heslip, currently playing the part of Molina in Kiss of the Spider Woman. Mr. Heslip. Thank you. Just to begin with, uh, how many generations of Cassidy's have been on the stage? Is this second, third? Uh, this is just uh, the second. Um, my father, in 1953, I watched, uh, I was three years old at the time. <laughs> this is true confessions. I, I'm here to tell you that I became an actor um, because I watched my father, Jack uh, Cassidy, 
in, I think it was 1953, um, in a play called Sandhog uh, at the Phoenix Theater, I believe. Um, I saw him in not every production um, that he did. He did 37 Broadway shows. And um, I was, at the time, growing up, I lived in New Jersey. My parents had split up, and I had felt um, like most young boys that are separated from their fathers. I really longed to see him, and um, I revered him, both as a, as a father, but also as a performer. He had such, um, such tools and such gifts as a singer, as an actor, as a comedian. He, he was so skilled and, in, in fact, was not formally trained. He was trained through coming up in the old days. They used to do lots and lots of shows. He did um, a lot of work in the chorus. He did a lot of bit parts. And he, I think, learned from an awful lot of the, uh, I think, the pool of talent that was here in the theater in New York at the time in the 40s when my mother and he met. My, my mother was also an actress and a singer and a dancer, and she herself did about 30 shows. Um, from the time I can remember breathing, I knew I wanted to do this. And in fact, uh, my parents, after I saw my, my dad on the stage in 1953, to make a long story even longer, I <laughs> decided I would, uh, I would be an actor. And being three years old, my, my parents <laughs> said to me in the car and in the tunnel on the way back, okay, but you have to graduate from high school. <laughs> so, in 1968, two weeks after I graduated from high school, fresh out of uh, my drama class, I began working uh, with the Los Angeles Theatre Company and uh, became an actor. And about nine months later, I got my first professional job right here in New York on Broadway. <laughs> so. And now your brother Sean. My brother Sean, who is uh, in Blood Brothers with you. He's also in Blood Brothers, yes. And you have a couple of other brothers. Are they professional? Yes. In fact, um, we were just talking about the show uh, Company. My, my brother Patrick has done three or four Broadway shows himself. Blood Brothers is, in fact, my third Broadway show. Um, it's a, my, my brother Patrick just did um, Company in... Um, at Long Beach with uh, Carol Burnett, although I didn't get to see it because we're here doing Blood Brothers. I heard it was sensational. And uh, he's talking about coming and moving back here, and I think the theater is certainly his first love. My brother Ryan is not an actor. Um, he actually is in, um, he's in business. He works for Jim Henson Productions <coughs> as a production Is this the picture that's turned to the wall in your family? <laughs> <laughs> in fact, we're all like, we applaud him for his <laughs> choice and his direction in his life and his career. It's, um, it's a difficult profession for lots of reasons, but an extraordinarily rewarding profession. And I'm sure that you'll hear from my very distinguished uh, uh, cohorts up here in crime about um, perhaps the process of doing it, which is really exciting for me to be here and to be a part of it with all of them. Because I learn every day that I'm on the stage and on the theater and working and getting to talk and to share how the, what the process is that we go through to get there, to do it every night, um, six nights a week or six days a week, eight performances, the commitment and the responsibility that we have to ourselves and to the, to the craft. 
is wonderful, and let me pass the ball to someone else. Well, Ms. Harris, for example, you, you don't come from the professional acting family, but your family no. didn't object to you going into acting. No, because both, uh, I always remember there was an interview uh, of, uh, Dick Cavett had with uh, Lord Olivier, and uh, uh, Lawrence Olivier said that his mother and father, his father was a minister and his mother loved the theater and he inherited the wish from the two of them. And I think uh, I've always felt that I inherited that from my mother and father. My father uh, at Yale University was in the Yale Dramat and was a tumbler and loved the theater, loved Shakespeare. And my mother uh, adored the theater and always went and they took my brothers and I to the theater in Detroit when uh, touring shows were going through. So I I did inherit that wish and, mm -hmm. and there was something that they gave me because when I saw plays uh, I was reminded I, I went to see uh, Farewell My Concubine and that is students who are uh, being trained for the Chinese opera and there is a scene when the little boys come to see the opera for the first time and they start to cry because they see something that they feel they belong to this magic this where it's it's just a it's just a building a stage uh, an actor comes out in a costume it's something you feel that is part of you that you that you want to be part of it's this a storytelling it's this communion mm. with other people um, mm. and I certainly inherited that wish because I would walk into a an empty theater and start to cry I'll sweep the floors I'll do uh. wash the ceiling I'll do anything to be here was your father in Monty Woolley's time at Yale? Yes, no. he was, no. yes. He must have been an inspiring figure to get everybody stirred up. Yes, absolutely. <coughs> it's <laughs> the ideas, it's the magic, it's the communication. Mm -hmm. yes. yeah, when you got the, uh, the, the um, Tony, I had the honor of handing it to you. Do you by any manner of means remember that? It was in 1952. Well, I think it was your first part on Broadway. It was Broadway. the member of the wedding, I think, then, 52, yes. I think. That's yes. right. That's all of us. <laughs> 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 you can deny anything you like. <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a, a, a wonderful blur. But uh, you the, those it? plays, I mean, you, you know, the, the plays that... Um, I was. I, I have been so fortunate to have been in something like the member of the wedding, which was uh, uh, such magical writing and a perfect uh, sort of uh, blend of William Hansen and my myself and uh, the great Ethel Waters and Brandon DeWilda and being directed by Harold Clorman. I mean, that was. It was such a dream. I remember uh, Harold was a great leader and, and he loved the theater with that passion that was just sort of overwhelming and I remember Ethel Waters who I had seen in Mamba's Daughters and uh, Cabin in the Sky 
as a youngster and uh, I thought there was no one like her on the face of the earth I don't think there was mm -hmm. and she said to Harold she had a speech about Ludi uh, Freeman Ludi Maxwell Freeman her her the man that she lived with and who was the great love of her life and uh, it was a, a long speech about his dying uh, and she she said to Harold um, I don't know how to do that and I thought <laughs> and and Harold put on his spectacles she said would you read it for me and Harold put on his spectacles and read this speech now he said you're telling a, you're telling the children a story from the Bible and she latched onto that immediately mm. and but then it was very extraordinary because to me, watching her, I would say to Ethel, I wasn't any good tonight. She said, honey, baby, you just got to have faith. I said, well, where do you get that? In what drugstore can I <laughs> buy a bottle of faith? And she said, that'll come, that'll come. But it was remarkable watching her because she would say, um, and I lay on Ludi and I put my arm, and the minute she put her arms out, the tears would stream down her face mm -hmm. and it was so overwhelming mm -hmm. and it that never for, for the year and a half that we did it together those arms would go out and the, mm -hmm. it was just amazing mm -hmm. and I thought well that's what it, that's what she I'm was really listening that. to herself <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and, living yes. it. and living and living it as well. it. and it was extraordinary so I have been very fortunate mm -hmm. Yeah. Julie, the uh, tears ran down your cheeks that night when you got the Tony. Do you remember that? <laughs> well, I remember. I remember the opening night of the the member of the wedding. That was, yeah. I think, the the most extraordinary time at the old Empire Theater. It was so beautiful, um, and the curtain came up on us holding hands, and I, I was frightened for a moment because I heard such a roar. Oh. It was like standing at the at the edge of Niagara Falls which I always felt <laughs> Ethel possessed in her side of her she was like a natural phenomenon to me she uh, but but that was the roar of approval and we had just been in Philadelphia and sort of limped through that engagement <laughs> came to New York there was no advance sale uh -huh. and and we immediately knew it was going to be okay uh, <clears throat> Can I ask a question of your? Um, when you just said something to me that triggered the, the thought, and the, the first time I stood on a Broadway stage as an actor, a professional, I was 18, and I can remember I was in the very first scene, nine months out of high school, <clears throat> and the curtain went up, and I was concentrating so desperately on trying to keep enough saliva in my mouth so I could part my lips so I could get the first word out and I thought if I could just get the first word out I would be able to get on with this piece and I found my heart was racing I was sorry about that my heart was racing forget about these mics and what you just triggered in me 
I felt my whole body go, <gasps> and I think it's sometimes that we actors feel with each other that somehow it's not okay to be frightened, to be to be afraid. Other actors in this play, in Blood Brothers, said to me the night we opened, "So, are, are you terrified? Are you, are you scared?" <laughs> and I said, "No, I'm really excited." Yeah. And I'm nervous, but I'm not terrified or scared yeah. because I've gone a little bit beyond yeah. the, the yeah. terror. Yeah. But I was just wondering if in 1952, mm -hmm. when you were standing there, and if you had felt that sense of, oh my God, I'm actually doing this. This is actually happening. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, as you say, the, the terror... Uh, I I hate to be fr afraid. Oh yeah. I, I like to be excited mm -hmm. and uh, and a little on edge. Yeah. But I hate the terror. Oh God. Mm -hmm. and, uh, oh. And I, I am past that. Yeah. Thank yeah. God. Did you feel the terror or did you feel just the excitement? I, I have felt David. the terror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we that, all that, have. That can paralyze you. I mean, I come out in a rash and yeah. I spend a lot of time in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but thank goodness I, I seem to be over that now. But it is important to be frightened I think before you go on stage it's, it's almost like a dog having a wet nose you know mm -hmm. it's a sign of good health sometimes <laughs> if I feel that I'm not on edge I know that there's something wrong with me I'm not on form but your play is so full of uh, strength and excitement and all that whole thing so you must all be very keyed up in that place we're keyed up yes we've all got yeah, we're all fighting <laughs> sore throats and colds at the moment <laughs> as well but it's um, well, you know, the first time on Broadway, I was, yeah, I was near terror um, on the first night because I, I also didn't think I was right for it, and that was, that's a strange feeling. You know, this is the first role I've ever played where I really didn't think I was right for it. Well, then how did you find the courage to say, yes, I'll do it? I don't know. It was just one of those moments, you know, <laughs> I said, oh, well, yes, I'll have a go at it, you know, it's, which was, it's not very professional, I suppose, but there comes a moment. <laughs> But there comes a moment when you have to say, okay, you know, you have to hold your nose and do it. Um, no, I, I was very excited about being on Broadway, of course. But the David speaks of being able to act on Broadway <coughs> right out of high school. Now, did you go onto the stage right after high school? Or the equivalent I didn't of go to high, high school. school. I didn't, I didn't, I hardly went to school, actually. I, I, I was a child prodigy in mm -hmm. England. I'm English. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, we're <laughs> uh, in Epsom, where the salts come from. Well, yes, and, and they have the derby, you know. Mm -hmm. Very derby. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not from a showbiz family. Um, my father had always wanted to be an actor. He was a very handsome man. He looked like Errol Flynn. And he was, in fact, bitten by an Errol Flynn fan. <laughs> what a face! I hope you've bought He treasured it for a long time. <laughs> he survived the bite. <laughs> Not a rabid fan. <laughs> oh. um, uh, but he was not allowed to go on the stage. It was something rather shocking in those days, I suppose. And uh, so he vowed that if, if he ever had a child who, who did show any sign of talent, that he would encourage that child and that was me but I, I was I used to sing around the house and I started when I was about six mm -hmm. I went to see Flora Robeson in a play I think it was Mary Tudor and I came back on the top of the bus <laughs> and uh, I was I was just sort of in a dream and my father said what are you thinking about and I said that's what I want to do I want to be an actress but 
In fact, I started out as a singer. During the war in England, I was singing for the troops, and mm -hmm. then I was put under contract to the rank organization as an actress, and I, I made a lot of mostly bad movies. Um, one or two good ones, mm -hmm. with <laughs> Alec Guinness and a few other good people. <laughs> um, but I've done very little theater, and um, I don't know, I feel a bit like an imposter here. I I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, no. don't call myself an actress, oh, you know, I'm a singer yes. who acts, acts <laughs> a bit, but... Um, Oh, you're a wonderful actor. Oh, yeah, you oh, are. what? Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Are. Uh, thank you. How do you feel about the American audience? Did that give you any more terror or excitement mm -hmm. facing them for the first time? Well, I was... Mothering them, for uh, example? Mm -hmm. um, th 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 there is a difference. Um, I can't quite put my finger on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a difference in the cast. I have to say that, you know, the, there's, there's a kind of bite to a, a Broadway that you don't get anywhere else in the world. I don't quite know where that's coming from. I think the energy level, professionalism. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes. Well, you've worked in... Well, I just did four yeah. and a half months of KISS in London, and I've just come in oh, here yeah. to New York. So it's the difference is, is quite uh, astoundingly... Uh, mm. But what is the difference? Well, we well, it's, more, don't it we? it's very, very responsive here in, in yeah. New York, and oh. there is an excitement in the community I think from the restaurants, from the from the hotels, from the people, from you know anybody, they're very proud of this Broadway community, and that filters down, so that you feel like you're supported all the time, and that you're encouraged, and that's the hardest thing of being an actor is, it's it's. Uh, you're also a director. How how do you get that excitement into your performance? <laughs> I think just because I, I feel I was born with <laughs> this excitement that I, I started out as a, as a gymnast and a, as a dancer and a, you know, so I was very physical early on in my life. And that's always been a part of my, the certain joie that I love to, to you know, get also people. Also, these stories are very powerful. Uh, I mean, you get caught up in... Absolutely. In, Yes, and what you're feeling. Yeah. You're and feeling. you wonder, though, when you're playing, for instance, Kiss, it's many, many emotional levels. Yeah. And you wonder how an audience, for instance, in London, they sit and they're just absolutely silent. And you think, are they speaking the same language? Am I, you know, what am I doing here? And then at the end, they erupt. Mm. Yeah. Here, they're laughing and crying and ooing and aahing yeah. all the way through, and then they erupt. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's a, just a different yeah. containment. Mm -hmm. It's still the same appreciation level. It's very interesting. Yeah. Stephen, are you finding that with uh, angels? Uh, so the, the response of the audience. The being, I didn't do it in British. <laughs> <so> I, <laughs> no, no, but I mean, in terms of here, our continuous response. Well, we to just the audience. Um, we haven't played for very much of October, um, but last night we played, and uh, so th we could feel a real market difference between what's happening now and what was happening in August, and I think. What we discovered last night was that uh, in October, a lot of New Yorkers start going back to the theater. Mm -hmm. And consequently, I mean, I have nothing against people from out of town, but they're much more sedate. They don't, I don't think that they know that they can respond in the way that New Yorkers uh, feel like <laughs> they don't care whether they're allowed to or not. They will. <laughs> and, uh, and the thing is, is that what happens is that that level of excitement in the audience increases the level ex of excitement on the stage and mm. and actors i mean you know i mean 
perhaps it's a little bit the ham in all of us, we, we rise to the occasion and we give a little bit more and, uh, and things just build. And last night was just an astonishing performance. Mm -hmm. And after How long had it been before you came to last night? How long had you not played? Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks? Yeah. But to say time. why, you're, re you're also rehearsing. Well, we're rehearsing the second half. The second of, half. Um, the two-part play. Yes. And we just did the first preview on uh, Saturday night. Yeah. Yes. That, and that was, uh, that was an extraordinary thing. I mean, to talk about an audience response is that... Uh, you know, we sort of weren't ready, and and uh, the play is like ten hours long, and we were all thinking, "Oh no, what's going to happen?" And uh, George Wolfe and uh, Tony Kushner, uh, before the show started, walked out onto the stage in front of this huge red curtain, and the audience erupted in cheers and and applause, and they made a, a you know a little, short little curtain speech, and and again the audience just erupted, and we were like, mm -hmm. and. And in some strange way, it was like it was going to be okay. They yes. were saying, "We're here. If it, if it's if we're here till one o'clock in the morning, we're here." They were. Had had that had that kind of reaction taken place in June and July? In a different way. This was mm -hmm. like a soap opera. This was like people coming to see the second part of a soap opera. Mm -hmm. So they were really geared up and they were just like, what happens? Yeah. So, uh, whereas, yeah, I mean, we're talking about the difference between the first play and the second right. play. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, they were incredibly excited. And July and August were, um, it's funny, you know, you do it eight times a week and you feel exhausted about doing it eight times a week and it takes everything you have to do it eight times a week, but there is nothing like doing it eight times a week. You learn more about... Oh, yeah. You learn more about that play and that character mm -hmm. than you will ever possibly ever even want to know. Absolutely. And you, it becomes... It becomes... I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's in Cats and it becomes... Uh, and then we went down to uh, we went down to four performances a week after that because we were in rehearsal for Paris Troika and I was talking about the difference and I said that I think that the 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 important part was that doing it eight times a week you get so comfortable in doing it that you feel like it's almost like jazz you can improvise that there's a quality of the lines are there the lines become this superstructure. Mm -hmm. They aren't these minute things anymore. They're mm -hmm. this superstructure mm -hmm. that you exist very subtly inside of. Mm -hmm. And when you do it eight times a week, you have that facility to do that. And mm -hmm. when you do it four times a week, you begin to lose that. And mm -hmm. you start, you start, you know, the lines become <laughs> these uh, ob the, not obstacles, but they become more these objects, these larger things that you have to tackle. And you can't be as, you don't have the Free. facility mm -hmm. that you had when you were doing it eight times a week. Or the fluidity. That the fluidity, exactly. The desperateness. Uh, <laughs> well, sometimes it can be. I mean, and so now we're. How are you playing now, for now on? Well, now we're doing... Well, tonight we do Paris Strike of the second play, uh, which will be the second time it's done. <coughs> and now, I mean, for me, I, I... At this point in working on a play, I always... 
everything I think about acting becomes about taking what I learned in rehearsal and transferring it into a performance mode. And you have to go from a rehearsal mode into a performance mode. And it really becomes about very much listening to the audience and having them tell me what to do in a way that, um, that I, uh, I don't know how much better to articulate it than that. But if you listen to an audience, they'll tell you how much they already know and how much more they need to know. And, and then it, sometimes if you're lucky, you'll know how much more to give them and what to withhold yeah. so that they'll stay interested. Yeah. And that becomes about what the performance is as opposed to the rehearsal. And that is sort of the mindset that uh, I'm in right it's now a, with Paris. It's right the first time we really had this discussion of how much an audience gives mm -hmm. to the performer. Do you feel that way, Joe? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I directed a play this year uh, called Three Hotels at Circle Rep, in which it was three monologues. And uh, when we would rehearse, when the actors and I would rehearse, there was only a certain amount of work that we could do because I would say to them, well, essentially we're preparing for the first night when your scene partner shows up, which is the audience, because they will tell you, because you have to play the scene with them. Because if you're talking at them, it becomes uh, uninteresting at a certain point. So the first two weeks that they were playing it, it was all about, okay, now what is my partner doing? And it, it was, it, they had to learn how to dance with the audience. So I think it's, 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 it's crucial. It's nice essential. place. Yeah. It's a wonderfully directed play. I mean, yes. Great wonderful. job you did on that. Wow. It was just great. And it, it was all that happening. And of course, the size of the theater helps. Yeah. But I think with, with uh, Kiss, one of the troubles is at the beginning, the audience has to is perturbed to know where it is in yes. a relationship, that where its sympathies are going to go, or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So that's a very hard thing to get over at the very beginning. And yeah. to understand that that we're trying to create a certain tension immediately when the when this, that iris opens, mm -hmm. that that you're in prison, that, that there's something going on, and that uh, and it's a wonderful like talking about audiences. One, one night we'll have uh, a large group of bus people come in from, <laughs> from, from wherever, Arkansas or whatever, and, and they don't know how to react. They, they are totally naive and because they watch TV and they get up and they go to the refrigerator and they come back. Right. And so you're dealing with that and they sit there not knowing and they don't react. And then uh, a New York audience will come in, and you'll wonder, God. I mean, this yeah. is great. Well, New York act, uh, audiences so don't need a laugh track. They no. don't need a laugh no. track to be told. They create their own. But, but isn't it isn't it also very important when we're talking about the summer? And I, I'm I'm glad we're having a, t a chance to talk about this because I'm getting to hear different other actors their take on audiences. I have found it from time to time in being in different plays or productions. It being frustrating and you become you expect in a in the framework of a play a certain amount of reaction every night you go out and you play the play what you were talking about the bones of the play the skeleton of the play when you do it eight times a week you get so comfortable with it that you you be able to become the flesh of the character mm -hmm. and the lines are really kind of like the bones. so you you have an opportunity to really do a lot with it um, I sometimes wonder when you get used to in the beginning of a play 
Blood Brothers in particular, when we came into it, there was a, a lot of support from, I guess, people that were excited about seeing us in this play. And the first week or so, we got used to hearing it all happen that way. It was around the summer, and, and I guess a lot of the New York audiences. Then people from out of town came in, and the, our job changed because what we heard from the audience was different. And I think what you're absolutely right in saying, because we watch, as Americans, we watch so much television, we get used to sort of seeing it come to us, and we don't have to respond. We can go to the refrigerator, we can do whatever it is. And in a sense, a lot of people have said to me they've come to see to the theater for the first time in New York and didn't know, well, what is Blood Brothers? It, it's, I mean, I've heard that it's really funny. It is funny. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, am I supposed to laugh or is it all right for me? Should I be quiet? Um, somehow or another, being in New York, seeing a play for the first time, I think, enables those people that you're talking about to get a sense of what the experience is, which is the audience does participate and contributes greatly to what we do. And it's really important. I sometimes have a tendency, which is, um, I think, it's it's not a good thing for me as an actor and as part of this company. I tend to push a little more when it's it's like you hit a ball against a wall, <laughs> and if it doesn't fly back at you, you hit it harder, <laughs> and then it doesn't fly back at you, so you hit it harder again, and in the end you're screaming. Yeah. That doesn't work. What what actually is a very important thing to learn, and. I've learned this in playing this character because I come out as a seven-year-old um, in Liverpool with a Liverpoolian accent. And a lot of people who know my work from something else, either from television or films or other, other things I've done, a little surprised. are a little shocked. <laughs> the first time you see me, I, I sense their... <laughs> you know, and it's important for me instantly to make them feel comfortable about being there. I have a, Willie Russell is a very fine playwright who wrote the play, enables me as this character, uh, Mickey, to sit down with the audience after a moment or two as the audience is staring with their mouths dropped, and I have about a five-minute little mo monologue, which I tell a poem. And it's in those five minutes that the audience get set up for what the play is and that you have a chance I either lose them or I win them because I either embrace them and do the dance with the audience or else if you talk at them and you try and convince them that this is the way it's going to go, you're dead. Mm -hmm. And I, I have made the fatal mistake. Um, and <laughs> it only took me one that's time. That's what we're talking about here is that training and being professional. Mm. How do you know how to do the dance with the audience? How do you know? And this is really a, a, a direct well, very subtle. How, what do you bring to it? And where do you get it? It's, it's a subtle sort bring of to your sense. performance, mm. listening to the audience and working and knowing that you have to stretch yourself a little more fully. Where does years, that come from? What kind of, of training years, have you had years. to bring it? But all of you as actors are talking partly as if you were directors. And it's interesting that you have done both and are doing both. Now, is this something new in the theater, or has this always gone on, that, that, that actors have wanted to be directors or have become directors? I was mentioning before that, for example, 
George Abbott, who is now 106 and has been a director for the last 50 or 60 years, but he began as an actor 75 years ago and then switched He's over. Yeah. yeah, he is. But Stephen, even you talking, you're talking part like a director as well as one of us. Well, I mean, director, uh, the director is a new construction. I mean, directors didn't come about until the, you know, turn of the century. I mean, you really didn't have, you know, I mean, uh, in the 1860s, the the lead actor was the director and everyone just sort of like didn't get in in his way and everybody directed (laughs) themselves. And so... You know, I mean, so it's still embedded in the craft of acting that, in a funny way, you have to be a director. And you, I mean, the director doesn't tell you every move to make. I mean, you make your own decisions. You you decide very much uh, yourself what you're going to do with your yeah. character, unless the director has a, a a strongly different opinion. You know, you do what you mm. Uh, uh, what your impulse is. Well, you become your and, own director. You become your own director. Yeah. I think you've come absolutely prepared. And Gilgit said, Gilgit said, you know, the only way to direct a play is to hire the best actors you can get and let them do it. And <laughs> How do you I mean, feel about that? Uh, well, I feel uh, in order to, uh, what, what you were talking about, to to bring something that the audience will uh, participate in in the first place. Um, the first time I ever did the the poems and letters of Emily Dickinson uh, before the Bell of Amherst was written uh, by William Luce, I did a play of my own, putting together in chronological order the letters and the poems, and I did it for a church benefit at the Booth Theatre, and. I had no idea how it would go except that I know that I was so excited about saying these words and I it was it was a little like evangelism for me in that moment because I wanted them to love her as much as I did and uh, and I knew they would if they just heard these of, I'm nobody who are you are you nobody too then there's a pair of us I mean just knocks me out <laughs> and, and I always thought it it would knock somebody else out and uh, so I I had my own vision of this lady uh, and and that was the first impulse I mean it was it was this strong desire to make someone else aware of what she was mm-hmm. and I feel that in in uh, in other characters I mean did you feel the audience responding to this desire oh yes oh had yes. they not what would you have done it wasn't it wasn't in the realm of possibility. What <laughs> 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 a nice attitude to have. <laughs> but a good attitude. Now, Stephen, you're very young. How, how many years have you been on the stage professionally? Professionally? I went to uh, graduate school at NYU mm-hmm. and then um, had five years um, out of graduate school 
uh, struggling, which means that I didn't do very much of anything. And then... What were you uh, doing while you were struggling? Uh, waiting on tables uh-huh. and catering and uh, uh, working, and with, working with Tony Kushner, actually. Tony Kushner was... Tony and I uh, met at NYU, and uh, he was writing plays, and I was uh, and writing me parts, and that's he was my training school after school. I mean, I, it's funny because when I was at NYU, I came to one of these seminars, and Ian McKellen was here, and I was telling Joe this, and Ian McKellen said something that I'll never forget. He said, um, "The most important thing is not to have a great part. The most important thing is to have a great director, and then the next most important thing." is to work with great actors. And then the next most important thing is to do a great play. And then the next most important thing is to have a great part. And I thought, I thought you know, I, that, was sort of, that was sort of what my years with Tony Kushner was like. I, he, was, he has an incredibly powerful mind for the theater. Very and, and I was working with him, and he was writing extraordinary roles for me. And... Uh, you know, I mean, so I had, you know, you two, had the two out of experience yeah, and right so, here in New York. And so, uh, so that was pretty much my training ground after training school and uh, waiting on tables and, <laughs> and that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, and then um, really my career started, my career started. I mean, I started working before my career started, but somebody once said to me, you don't have a career until you're on Broadway and you get a film. Offer, and you have to choose. Then you have a career. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I mean, at, at that point, you know, I mean, so by that, I really don't even have a career. <laughs> so, um, I think that's interesting to go on with this. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I've only really been, I mean, I've been an equity actor, I think, uh, for seven years now. So many young actors and actresses do uh, wait on tables, and I notice again and again, this is one of my obsessions, that uh, so many of the waiters and waitresses are left-handed. And whenever I say, uh, oh, you're left-handed, or you're an actor, or you're an actress, because they, it seems to me a high percentage of actors and actresses are Wait, left-handed. George Wolf is left-handed, actually. George Wolf is left-handed. And when you go to the movies, you go around stage and say, look, look, left-handed, left-handed, picking up the phone, doing all that I can hardly watch anything for this whole particular aspect, because actors are supposed to be, among other things, uh, intuitive about how things are going from one moment to the next, rather than they can't afford to be analytical on stage. But how many left-handed people here? Miss Stark, how do you feel about that? How, how did about this audience reaction and how to find them? Oh well, I, you know the audience reaction is is very important, but it's 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 a, it's it's a very delicate thing because, as David said, you know there's there's a bit of a ham in well in a lot of us anyway, and if we mustn't work too much to the audience. I think we have to keep some kind of um, inner discipline as well, you know. And all of this is very, very personal. I find it very difficult to talk about acting because I, I, I would, I'm not a trained actress. I don't know, are, are, there, are you all trained? I mean, did you go to school and acting school and things like that? Well, I, I never did, did. I never did, so I don't have that basic, basic training and um, I'm, I'm learning all the time. And so I have to keep keep that discipline inside me. Um, I do a lot of concerts, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a singer, and uh, so I'm, I'm used to working with an audience. 
but work, working in concerts, of course, is really sort of eyeball to eyeball, you know, I mean, actually working to the audience, and that's very different to working in a play. You have to be aware, but not, not too aware. It's keeping that sort of balance, which is very difficult and, and delicate, and I think very interesting. That's, that's so, what I do. Yeah, when you, uh, what Steve said was so interesting about what you can withhold from an audience, mm. which will then increase the tension. Now, you as a director, actor, did you try to do that? Or do you, you, you were saying with the other thing with the three hotels that you had to marry these two mm -hmm. things, but the, the art of withholding, now what would be an example of how you would well, do I, that? I, th I think that, uh, you know, uh, good acting is about, is about listening. Uh, sort of what Stephen was saying, and if and if you listen, if you listen to the people that are around you, and also you have this sense of what's going on over here, they will tell you. They will tell you, I'm I don't understand the story that you're telling. You have to you have to be clearer. So the next night, maybe you make it a little bit clearer. Or or as a director, when you're when you're sitting there in previews, and and yes, you're watching the actors on stage, but you're also listening to the audience, and. Uh, and then, and then you start to build from that, and that's what I think previews are about. Uh, and if obviously, if, if the audience is, is going for their candy and, and do, then something then something's not getting you know something's not traveling. Uh, and if if they're if they're silent and you can hear a pin drop, then you, then it's working. And then there are you know gradations between that. But so it's 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 about finding. Sort of and in, in some ways, especially when you start dealing with emotional issues, when you start dealing with, uh, okay, well, this character is very upset in this scene, and uh, well, just how upset is this character? And the lines let you know to a certain degree to what degree of extremis they're in. But um, you go out there and you can produce the affect. I mean, you, could, you can produce it, but the audience will let you know how much they want to produce for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I have a long speech in the first act of the first play. And uh, I, ha I found that if I, if I present to them too much affect, if I give them too much of an emotional life, yeah. they, they, they don't want to deal with it. They don't <coughs> want to hear it because the speech is very complicated and very subtle. If I am very simple and just do it just do it very simply they'll listen they'll mm -hmm. they'll pay very very close attention and they'll fill in the blank they'll fill in the affect and that's what i mean by listening to the audience by by uh that's that i that's guess that's the best this this play angels in america presents it as sort of a unique <laughs> problem in that now all total the the play is i don't know Seven. Seven, six, seven, six, seven hours. Six and a half. Seven hours. <laughs> seven. And so you obviously you don't want to come out in the first scene and give your entire performance. Or there's, there's <laughs> a long way to go. Yeah. So that's that's a unique sort of problem that I've never had to deal with before. So that's maybe about that's what Stephen I think well, you mean about withholding well, so, a bit. But I was getting you're all talking about this is this anybody can listen to the audience and anybody knows when to pull back and not pull back or to give more. I want to know how, how you know uh, how to listen to an audience. What do you bring to that? 
obviously the answer is you're a professional training you but it, there's something another level there not well, everyone what is it that you in a certain what, what is it that you can way, pass on to tell me i mean david sort of said it when he said you know experience on the stage i mean you just to a certain degree it is experience i mean and, and I'm not sure experience that you learn Julie in can school but experience that you get through working on stage and in yeah. many parts and with many directors and Do failure I'm, also helps yeah. you at once you yeah trust me i've had a lot of that I, I i think that that my dad told me this in fact he said i i never really learned anything about the successes i had it was all the failures and the flops i was in that i really learned what didn't work and why it didn't work i learned oh okay i know if i go down this road that's a dead end and emotionally when you were just speaking about um there's an arc to everything uh, performance play and as actors we are in a sense directors we must you know um you see the play as an actor your character has a thread to tell the story we are communicators we communicate the essence in the body of whatever it is what we're doing here in the play my job is to go out and i carry a certain amount of information but when the play starts to go in the second act of this play when it starts to go down when my character's life goes down it takes everybody with me um my mother my my uh, twin brothers family and him and his life my wife all of them go down i i've experienced going too far too soon to where in the last scene when it is really the climax of the piece occurs if you've already sort of spent yourself and emotionally done it there's nothing left the audience can't really feel because they've already lived it with you before so there's a certain amount of restraint that occurs that you must consciously try and kind of like withhold it's it's got kind of a little bit what we were talking about before where you push too hard um if if they're not responding i found i've been more successful by being simpler by being less trying to communicate less emotionally also i think that there's something that maybe we can all explore a little bit within each other because we all have different methodology in which through training through various types of training through i've worked with the LA uh, theater company and done some work with them in my early stages and i still go back to class uh sometimes as recently as last year i was in class for a few months i think it's a good thing for me to keep sort of sharp and i what kind I, of a class uh larry moss uh, is an acting teacher and coach and uh has now in los angeles and was here in new york for quite a long time and is a wonderful was an actor and uh I you know you work with other actors and you do plays or you do monologues or if I have a problem with a piece of work that I'm doing I'll call Larry and say hey I got this piece I want you to read we read it and tell me give me your thoughts on it and sometimes he'll just say something to me if you'll read it and say well it's this and I'll go oh yeah of course I knew that <laughs> <laughs> and and if anything it's my own sense of just the way I get to it it takes me sometimes a long time to figure out get the focus on the character that I'm playing. And maybe it's because I haven't done enough work or I haven't worked in rap or whatever it is, but me, David, I take a while before I really, you know, I can say the words and I can hear, but it's like there's music in the ear. 
mm. and you can hear the voice. You know the way he moves. You know the way he, and and uh, somehow or another, I take a while before I see it. Kind of like focusing a camera on who the guy is or who the character is that I'm playing. And I know that all of us go through it differently. How I we think get that's to important to get to see how you all feel, Jeff. Yeah, mm. very much so. Um, I've been doing this for about seven months now, overall. And just last week, <laughs> something opened up. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just a case of, as, as you were saying, doing eight shows a week. And you, I'm not joking. When you do get to the eighth show, you're a little desperate. Um, <laughs> and that's good, because it puts you on. I mean, you're literally holding on with your fingernails. And it, you find stuff because of that desperate quality. And you're out there, and you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. So when you're exhausted, you I tend to be very open and very, well, this is what you're going to get tonight. You know, it's, <laughs> you know so it's, it's real. It's real. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I find, like, I have this wonderful scene where I'm, I'm eating this food that's poisoned. Well, I couldn't find this way to approach this very funny line to cover my fear, knowing I was eating poison. And it just went... Boing! Look at the food. It's right in front of you. And, and it just... Months I've been looking... How do I... Boing. What brought that? That sudden thing? Well, I just... It was one Is of it those... all the months that you've been doing it and, and it, finally... And, it's, and it, at that point, you are so comfortable mm. with, the, with the structure, with the words, so they're not mm. in the way anymore. So I could just go... Oh, look, I'm eating poison. <laughs> and it became, yeah. it was absolutely came out of my mouth like I, and I went, thank you. And it just dropped. Yeah. But that's Wonderful. just the, the repetition. What of about you, Petula? Do you feel the same thing? Oh, oh totally, yeah. yes. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have anything as sort of precise as that. But the more I play this role, the more I know about her. And the more I know about myself, funnily enough, it's, it's because it's all coming up from, from very deep inside me. But it's true, you have to know the words and the moves uh, so perfectly so that you can start reaching inside yourself. What's your method, Joe? Oh, God. I, well, I think I have, like, anti-technique or something. I don't... I, 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 and I think it's specific to... Um, you know, I don't have a, 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 a way of working in specific case-to-case -to, -case to whatever uh, the play is. Um, you know, I, I sort of, for a while, I tried to do that thing where you hold the coffee cup... You know, and you you imagine. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you sort of imagine. And I just I just never got it. I just thought, well, <laughs> well, there'll be coffee. I mean, I'll be okay. So, <laughs> so it seemed like a waste of time for me. Um, <laughs> so I don't. I mean, I have no words of wisdom other than. Uh, uh, this is not a waste of time ever. And in the words here, I just have to stop you. And we're coming back to this because we're going to have to take a break now. And we'll come right back to more of this. Everybody, stand up, turn around your seats, take a deep breath, and come right back again. Stand up while we'll continue Imagine this wonderful discussion. <laughs> we're back at the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theater. And these seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. This is the seminar on performance and how the performers react to the audience and what the audience gives to the performer as they're working. It's been a most exciting and interesting story of, of, that we, of, of the audience and the performer that 
the audience is part of the performances, I think, what has come out of this. And I'd like to continue this around the table here with these marvelous performers that are here today. Brendan, would you like to do well, this? Well, I'd like to ask Ms. Harris about the fact that she probably, more than anybody here, has, has crisscrossed the country. You, have, you know more, with more times back and forth. Yes, well, Brendan, I was going to think, uh, I've always grown up in the theater with the theory that the audience is never wrong. That if the audience isn't responsive, it's not their fault, it's mine. And uh, I was in Peter Schaffer's play recently on tour, uh, Lettuce and Lovage, and it's an extraordinary play. Uh, I played a Lettuce to Faye, uh, which is an extraordinary part. And we came to Florida. Now, the first scene is the uh, Lettuce is a tour guide in an old house, and she comes on, she says, now this is uh, the most remarkable feature of Fustian House. This is the grand staircase constructed in 1560 out of Tudor oak, as if that was going <laughs> to fascinate everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and usually the speech is so, you know, she's trying to make uh, the most out of these dull facts because it's really a very uninteresting house. And what makes that first scene uh, uh, thrilling and amusing to the audience is that she realizes she she gets fed up with just these boring facts and starts to embellish them. And uh, we, but we came to Florida, and there wasn't a sound. There wasn't a laugh. And I thought, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> I don't know what I'm because this is the funniest. You know, construction of it. The whole idea is so funny. So, out of desperation, I said, we called Peter in, in London, uh, and I said, is it all right if I say, now this is the final room of our tour. This, we come now to the most remarkable feature of Fustian House. This is the grand staircase. Still, I thought, maybe they don't know it's a tour. <laughs> and then I realized, I said, it's your fault, and you have to make it, you, maybe you're very used to the sound of it and the way you're doing it, and so it became harder for me to think of what I could say to make it more interesting. <laughs> and when I made that discovery, when I, when I really did that, this grand staircase, the queen tripped, and she fell, and he came up, and in other words, the audience could see me working to make the, the whole story more interesting. And then they started to, to respond to react. Exactly. So I, I thought, I could go on saying, something, it's not you, it's, it's not me, it's you. Why aren't you getting this? No, I said, no, it's me. I'm doing, maybe it's too facile, I'm used to doing it. And so I struggled and struggled and finally got it. But would you call that adjusting to the audience? Or, you know, adjusting your performance to the audience? Well, not my no. performance. I mean, not the essence I mean, that, of what yeah, she was, no, but, but, that, that but that particular thing was, mm. it was so fascinating to me. We've been talking about the audiences in New York being different from the audiences that are made for people who come to New but York. But I find that a funny play 
is funny all over the country. Mm -hmm. The, the, line, the yeah. line is brilliantly conceived by a, a, a wonderful writer, and it almost invariably gets a laugh. What did Peter Sharper say when you put the question? <laughs> he said, you're very bright. You're very bright to do that. The perfect author. The perfect author. Anything you like, he said. Yeah. And I said, uh, I, there was another interesting line. Uh, oh my! And and uh, Lettuce had a uh, a mother who went to France and had a French company, all female, uh, doing Shakespeare. So she is bilingual. And the oh my, I could imagine what Maggie Smith, who was who who, who did the part in the beginning and did it here in New York, uh, did with oh my. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't find a laugh on oh my, and I felt it should because it's a button of a scene. So I said I remembered. Uh, I went to a to a, a French lady to have a massage, and she said, "Are you?" Were you Valine's mother in Knott's Landing? And I said yes, and she said, Oh la la! <laughs> <laughs> so at the end, I thought, That's what I should say. <laughs> oh la la! <laughs> and then it was, it was the You're right wrong. button. And I said to Peter, Is it okay? He said, If it gets a laugh, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> We're about to go to questions from the audience now. So would you please come up with your first question? And who would you? Uh, my name is Kathy Lilly, and I have a question for Joe Mantella. Um, how has rehearsing Perestroika affected your performance with Millennium Approaches? Um, what are the problems and advantages? Um, well, uh, before we well, uh, um, before we went into uh, rehearsal for Perestroika, the play only went to the point where the angel. Uh, I don't know who's seen it, but the this, the angel comes in at the end. So your performance is like David was talking about the arc. The arc of your performance is from your first scene to the moment where the angel drops, and that's that's all of the information that you have. And the day that we started to go into rehearsal for Perestroika, all of a sudden we had more information and more uh, more things to play with because there were uh, you know what I mean. There's there's more at your fingertips to call on, which fed back into Millennium. Oh. And now it's like, and Stevie was saying this last night, that it's it's like you feel like a whole person because now you, the entire life of the character is there. Before, it would, though we didn't know it, it was just half a life. Yeah. And um, Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my name is Alexandra and I have a question for Steven Spinella. Angels in America and your role in it are highly emotional. How do you keep from taking it home with you and burning out? Good question. How do I keep from doing that? No, keep from taking the emotions home with you once, well, once you leave. Um, I mean, to be completely honest, you do sort of take it home with you a little bit. Um, I mean, I leave as much at the theater as I possibly can. I, well, you, do, you don't take home you don't take home the tears so much, or the anger, or that sort of stuff. What you take home, I play a, a person with AIDS. Um, what you take home, what you find starts permeating your life are the issues of a person who is that sick. And when you're doing it eight times a week, and 
you know, and there are certain parallels with that character. I mean, I, I, I don't have AIDS, um, uh, but there are other parallels. I mean, we're both gay men, and we both live in New York, and that sort of stuff. And so AIDS is, a, is an issue in my life. When, when there are those kind of parallels, you start, those start um, invading. It's sort of invasive character to begin with. And um, you just uh, try to be as sane as you possibly can and recognize that this is the character and this is my life and I will leave this behind and I will take this with me. And uh, I want to add, answer, ask another question. How do you prepare for this emotion the next day? You've one, I, one part of the question is you left it there in the theater and then you come well, back the next day. I mean, I, I actually... Do preparation for it? I actually every night um, there's a series there's a book called um, Love Alone, uh, 18 Elegies for Raj. It's a um, a book of poems by Paul Manette that he wrote in the six months after his lover Roger died of AIDS. And uh, every night before I go on stage, I read uh, I read just to myself in my dressing room those poems and. Um, and uh, they are, well, if you get a chance to read them, you should read them. They're extraordinary. And uh, that's what I do. And, and then, and, and of course, I think about the issues of the character. But that, that, um, that lets me, I, I, for me as an actor, the thing that I have to learn before I can go on stage every night is the seriousness of what I'm about to do. And... Uh, that's that's the most important thing for me to do before I go on stage is the seriousness of what I'm about to do. Very important. Do you want to talk about that too? Well, uh, uh, sure. If you'd like, I'll, what do you do? I'll, in, I'll embellish a little bit on it. I I have to um, I have to go out in my very first scene and uh, lay down on a stretcher and die, and then the next time, and the audience really doesn't see it because it's a funeral and it's my funeral. Um, I come back a half an hour later because the play goes back to the beginning on how this occurred and we take the whole journey and I start as a seven-year-old so I have to go out sort of put myself and not really be in that mindset it's all during that moment of lying there underneath a blanket and hearing the beginning of it that I and and the half hour before because it's pretty chaotic I have to take a half an hour alone and start to focus and for me in order to put all the payoffs in the play as an actor and as the director and as all part of this unit that we do in telling the story I have to bring as much joy and life and his his innate energy and and zest for life that this character has in the beginning so that in the end when he starts to go it's another complete contrast and color it it allows us to see the arc so that this guy who's so full of life gets all of it taken out of him and i have to find for me the focus to where to start so that i don't start to up here or two down here and i think um i do it innately in myself um but it 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 really requires me just thinking about <coughs> thinking about my journey I'm, before we go to our next question, I'm going to thank Joe 
and Stephen for being here. And they're on their way to a rehearsal. And they've been playing the part and rehearsing. Do you want to just say goodbye and tell us what you're on your way to? <laughs> um, well, I hope not a nightmare. Um, no. <laughs> we're we're going to we're rehearsing. Um, I guess the third act of Paris today. So. Um, and, the and? and and the fifth. And the fifth. <laughs> and at the same time, they're working in Angels in America, which is a wonderful play. Go fast. <laughs> My name is John Francis Fox, and my question is for Julie Harris. Um, since you are very well known for your one-woman plays, can you tell us the difference between acting in a one-character play and acting with other actors? Well, um, I think I, uh, uh, that uh, in a one-person play, um, the audience is your other support. You, you are engaging them in this particular story and uh, I never felt very lonely uh, when I was doing a one-person play and I uh, the Bell of Amherst which was the first one um, I, I I just it was it was as if Emily Dickinson had invited someone to come to tea and I uh, in the first place it was very difficult because when she first comes on with the tea tray I had a great director Charles Nelson Riley who all made it all like a a, a picnic and a circus uh, I just had to cut the cake pour the tea say would you like sugar or lemon and uh, but the first moment was that I didn't know whether I mean I brought the tea out and then I saw the person or the persons and thought, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> I think I'll excuse myself. <laughs> so that was my first impulse. And then when I made up my mind to stay and say, well, yes, and my name is this, and would you like some tea? And I make this kind of cake. And, and then one thing led to another, and it was just me and another person. Mm -hmm. had come for tea so it, and 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 I was telling them about my life like I would you know we could be here all day I would tell you about my brothers and my father and my mother and my aunts and my uncles and Christmas and New Year's and uh, and, and people dying and people being born and and it was wonderful thank you my name is Rebecca Gallegos, and my question is for Mr. Hyslop. Uh, Molia Molinina is a very flamboyant character. Uh, what did you do for your audition? Oh, God. I was playing the Phantom in Canada at the time, and um, <clears throat> Hal Prince was rehearsing Kiss in Toronto, up the street at the other theater, and he came down to see a, uh, the first act of a matinee, and he said, you've got to play this role. And I said, oh, sure. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. So a month later, he flew me to New York for Candor and Ebb and Terrence McNally to see me. 
But meanwhile, they had faxed 27 pages of Molina's script and songs, and, and I had three days to learn it, and I learned all the material from the show. And then I, I did that material for them. I think the Broadhurst was about 47 degrees inside, <laughs> and everybody was wearing their overcoats and running out to pee because it was so cold. Um, and uh, my wife Ruth was in the wings huddling with her coat on as well. And I did all the material from the show, and it was uh, very exciting. And, do you find uh, auditioning I, hard? Pardon me? How do you, do you find auditioning hard? Um, yeah. 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 I don't do it well. I don't. I don't know anybody that really does. I'm the worst. Does audition well and then is really a good performer. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it, you either do one or the other. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, my name is Larry Weissman, and I'm an actor as well. Uh, this is for David, Jeff, and Petula. How is replacing an actor different from originating a part? especially after you've seen the other actor perform it? Uh, um, good. It's a very good question for, I think, all three of us because of the... Um, all three of us came into these productions here in New York and had rather large shoes to fill. Con O'Neill, who I replaced, uh, originated this part in the West End, and I think he won... Olivier Award over mm -hmm. there, and he was nominated for a Tony here. And I know Jeff um, came in and replaced Brent, who won the Tony. Um, and I know that uh, Petula also <laughs> replaced Stephanie, who was nominated for a Tony. So this is my, the methodology is very simple. I came in here and had one job, and that is to stay within the confines of what David can do and not try to compete with another actor even though innately I I looked at his performance I saw it twice I stayed away from the theater purposely so that I didn't hear his inflections and try I saw what he did and it gave me a great advantage because I watched somebody who had been playing the role for five years who was so comfortable in it, and who had so much confidence in himself doing it, who originally was born in Liverpool. So his Liverpool was like, it just, it, off of his lip, off of his tongue and his lips. And I, being an American, had that obstacle to get over. And then knowing that, uh, you know, he had this sort of cult thing going for him, you know, people rooting for an underdog, and here, you know, they've hired me to come in here, and I'm a, a name, and... You know, uh, he can't act because he's from television or, you know, I mean, there's that stuff going on. And I had to forget about all of that. What I needed to do is just focus on what I, the tools that I have and that I am very much innately like this guy. There's so much of me. I have so much that embodies this character in me that I could never do what Khan did. But Khan can't do what I do. I can only be as good as David Cassidy can be. And, and not try and do somebody else's performance. Yes. And do, do you want to add to that? Um, I agree totally. Uh, you know, it, it is, it's really what other people see the role as, and you're coming in and you're trying to live up to those, what those people, because they've seen Con and they've seen Brent and they've seen, and, and you're coming in and you're doing what you are capable of. Mm. And I think what we all 
can bring to, to a show, and I've seen Blood Brothers, and this is amazing, um, is that they've brought their own individuality and, and charisma, and that's something that maybe the other person didn't necessarily have. And I, I know what I've brought, I'm a very company person, I'm a company actor, and I, and I love to bring everybody together, from the crew to the orchestra, to everybody at the front of house, yeah. so that we're all doing the same show yeah. every night, from the front of house to, to my job. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference. Um, well, that's my individual difference. Well, I fought tooth and nail not to do this. <laughs> I, I, because I, I had seen the show in London. I've seen, uh, and I saw it in New York, so I've seen three, three ladies play Mrs. Johnston. That's my role. And I thought they were all great, you know. And I just had never pictured myself playing this role. I didn't think I could ever play Mrs. Johnston. Um, she was so far from anything that I, I could understand. I'm also a mother, so I found the whole idea of this woman giving her child away very difficult to swallow. I mean, and it's still a difficult moment for me when I'm playing it. Um, but now, now that I, <laughs> once I'd taken the plunge and said I would do it, of course I was excited about doing Broadway. Stepping into somebody else's shoes was not easy for me. Um, but... Now I feel that I do know Mrs. Johnston, and uh, there's an awful lot <clears throat> of her in me, and every night I'm learning more about her, and in fact, th there was a question that was asked earlier on in the discussion about what you take home. I'm finding out an awful lot about myself in this role. So, um, I don't know if any of this is answering your question. I have never seen me play Mrs. Johnston, so <laughs> I, I don't know how I compare with the other ladies, but um, I know that I'm giving it everything that I have. Whatever I have is, is being given night after night. And uh, I think that uh, the, music, the music seems to fit my voice very well, and I'm just giving it all I've got every night. That's all I can do. <laughs> That's my name is Bob Green, and I have a question for David Cassidy and Petulia Clark. Um, you've both been singers for many years. How do you maintain your voices? Have you listened to me today? <laughs> <laughs> I have a particularly difficult problem. Um, thank, thank you for asking. Um, I, uh, as, an, as actors or as singers, um, we're on the stage in the theater your it's your instrument it's the it's the way that we one of the most important ways that we communicate what's going on and in an emotional uh, role and play as I'm in I have to scream a lot I have to play seven in the beginning which I, you know <clears throat> I probably <laughs> couldn't do it now but I took up here you know and when you put your voice up here it starts it starts to, you have to, to actually you thin your cords out. The, the short answer is, I vocalize a lot. <laughs> I shut up as much as I can, and it becomes more and more difficult outside of the theater, outside of the, the play, eight times a week. I have to try and baby my voice. It's difficult because if you get angry, or if you want to yell up the stairs, <laughs> you can't. you got to go sort of limping up the stairs. <laughs> 
Absolutely. How do you do it? How do you do it? It's the talking that's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it's singing because you're supporting it. Hope. Um, mm -hmm. It's is easy. It's easy. And you're yeah. singing with a sound system and with hopefully a sound system and uh, <laughs> and you can place it and you place it. But when you're uh, for me a lot, I, I talk with underscoring. Right. So you're pitching the voice over the underscoring mm -hmm. because you think you have to. You really don't. But you think. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's where I'm we talk like this. We're really tenors, but we're... We have just room for one more question. One. Um, what are some of the differences between doing a show outside of New York as opposed to Broadway? Um, are there any differences? Canada or London or... California? <laughs> well, I, 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 it's the most wonderful thrill being on Broadway. I, I, was, I was ready for the, for the excitement and, uh, and the nervousness of, of, of being here, but I wasn't ready for the warmth and the community feeling that I... That I sense, uh, it's like being embraced. It's it's different from London, though, particularly. Yes, it is. Yes. It is, and uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, you know, London is my home, and yeah. uh, and and I love it dearly. And I've I've worked on the London stage uh, a fair amount, but it's not quite the same. There's something very, I'm very close knit about about Broadway, and uh, there's no back scratching. There's no nastiness. It's uh, it's. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm very, very happy here. And I'm, I'm just having the most wonderful time in New York. And thanks to lovely, lovely people. Meeting you. <laughs> I have a, I'm afraid I, I have a, a, a standard phrase here. Forgive me for interrupting you and forgive me for cutting this short. But uh, we could go on and on because the people are, the performers that are at this seminar, the American Theatre Wing seminar, working in the theatre on performance are so talented and so caring and so giving of themselves that I, for one, would like to spend the day with all of them. And I'm sure that you would too, but time has come to an end and we have to close this. This is the American Theatre Wing seminar. There's but one of a series of seminars. We do one on the playwright and director, one on the production, and one on design. And they are all coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, located on 42nd Street. I'm Isabel Stevenson. I'm president of the American Theatre Wing, and I'm very proud indeed to be able to bring the caliber of the type of people that we have brought to you as been represented in today's performance on the performance. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. 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 Thank
Okay, you want to?